Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, Vice President of the North Star Meetings Group Sports Division and the Executive Editor and Publisher of Sports Travel. And our guest on this episode is Khalid Cannon, the President and Chief Program Officer for Put Me In, a new nonprofit that's helping an overlooked but deserving constituency in sports-related travel, children of incarcerated parents. With over 5 million kids in the country who have parents who are incarcerated, the need for help in covering league fees, equipment, and sports-related travel has never been greater. And in this episode, we're going to hear some of Cannon's amazing story, as well as the work that Put Me In is doing to help kids who are very much in need. But before we begin... This episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports event industry. Teams 24 will be held in Anaheim, California at the Anaheim Convention Center, September 23rd to the 26th, 2024. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee Sportsling Program and NGB Best Practices Seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more more details on everything we have planned at Teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Khalid Cannon didn't have the most direct route to the world of Ivy League athletics, but he certainly made the most of his opportunity. Growing up on a chicken farm in Alabama, his father was incarcerated when he was just a toddler, a development that led him to sports as youth as an outlet for the challenges that his family naturally faced. Not only did he excel athletically in baseball, football, and other sports, he excelled academically as well, so much so that when it came time to consider playing football in college, he caught the eye of coaches at Yale and eventually played offensive line for the Bulldogs while pursuing degrees in chemistry and geology. After graduation, his career included a stint at a gold mining corporation until a conversation with a fellow former Yale football player turned him on to a fledgling nonprofit called Put Me In. The mission of Put Me In is to be a support to the more than 5 million kids who are estimated to have a parent who is incarcerated. SIPs, or Children of Incarcerated Parents, are a group that doesn't get much attention in the world of sports-related travel. But Put Me In exists to give those kids scholarships to cover the cost of sports equipment, league fees, and travel to tournaments. The organization has started small but is rapidly expanding, bringing on Canon recently as its first full-time employee in the role of President and Chief Program Officer. And as you'll hear in this conversation, they found perhaps a perfect person for the role. As the issue of equity in youth sports continues to rise to importance, Put Me In is a terrific example of how some groups are looking to level the playing field. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Khalid Cannon, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. Terrific to connect with you. Uh, we recently got in touch with each other. And as you were telling me more about your organization, Put Me In, it dawned on me that this is a piece of the youth sports world that we don't really write about that much in sports travel. We've written about and have covered over the years various issues related to equity in general, uh, mostly related to the cost of participating in sports, which we know is difficult for families, you know, increasingly so as time goes on. Of course, the travel associated there. But, uh, you know, Khalid, your organization put me in is working with a particular part of the community that I don't think we've really put much thought to, to be honest with you. And, and uh, as we'll discuss, I think during this conversation, it's something that I think sports event organizers and, and destinations as well should be aware of. So I'm looking forward to 
diving in a little bit with you to, to talk about the organization and, and the work that you're doing, particularly with the children of, of incarcerated parents, which is the focus of the organization. So excited about that, but uh, excited to get to know you a little bit better as well and introduce you to you know some of our world as well, because your own backstory seems very interesting to me leading up to what you're doing now. So if you're willing, if you're up for it, I think, why don't we kind of start there and talk a little bit about yourself and then we'll segue into the organization. But let's kind of start there. Give me some background on your youth sports experience. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. So uh, like you mentioned, my name is Khalid Cannon. I'm the president and chief program officer here at Put Me In. And I do the work that I do because sports changed my life. I I grew up in a rural part of Northeast Alabama, uh, right outside of Gadsden. Uh, It's the Egypt community. And I grew up on a chicken farm with over 200,000 chickens. Uh, It was just me, my mom and my sister. And we had a really close fit, close tight knit family there. But uh, we lost our father to uh, incarceration when I was about four or five years old. So it was different than the typical family. In most instances, when, when you lose your father to incarceration, like the family tends to be fairly isolated. But I was really lucky where I had a large extended family of grandparents, aunts and uncles, and then a church community as well that came together to support me. And through that, sports were always an outlet. So growing up, I played baseball and soccer and football and basketball pretty much year round. So always stayed busy. Uh, and one of those requisites of playing all of those sports was making good grades. So I became incredibly competitive in, on the football field and on the sports field, as well as in the classroom. Uh, so that's something that really set the foundation for me for success later on in life, where I went on to play football at Yale and I was a three-year starter on the offensive line. And just going to Yale itself completely changed my life, my family's life, where I had never been on a plane before visiting Yale for the first time. And no one in my family had, to be honest. My, yeah. my mom and I. I want to stop you there from, for a moment. So that path from uh, playing football, high school football in Alabama and then getting, you know, having Yale be in the equation, how did that even come about? Yeah. So like I said, I was incredibly competitive academically as well as athletically, where where school always came first to me. And that was something my mom always preached on. So going into my junior year of high school, I pretty much just expected to go to school and be a normal student and focusing on getting a degree and then getting all of my life. But uh, I started getting in touch with a, a couple college coaches and it wasn't exactly the schools I wanted to go to, but it started planting that seed of this is something that can take you places. So instead of going to the local state school, which I was planning on, uh, I had all these doors open to me from the Ivy League. It was a really interesting meeting for for the Ivy League coming onto my radar where I was at a football camp for Vanderbilt, which at the time was the dream school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was going through a broad jump exercise and, and testing and had a really good jump. And I stuck the landing and I look up and I see the Yale, the Yale offensive line coach. And I see the big Y on his, uh, his chest. And I ask him, is he, is he uh, the coach from Yale? And he's like, yes, sir, I am. And I told him I had a 33 ACT. And he immediately followed me to the back of, my, back of the line to ask for my information and continue to follow up from there. And at that point, it was almost just like fate, where no matter what other school I talked to, Yale was always the top of my mind. I ended up getting uh, offered from Harvard as well. And those are my top two schools and did official visits to both of them. But just that first moment of being exposed to Yale and all the opportunities that could come from that, uh, I couldn't say no to it. Yeah. And what was your what was your major when you went there? What did you study? I double majored in chemistry and geology. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it was definitely one of it was definitely pretty challenging trying to balance all of that with the the loaded football schedule. And then in the Ivy League, we're not on academic or not on athletic scholarships. We're all on need based financial aid. And growing up in the situation I had of being a farmer from Alabama, I luckily didn't have to pay almost anything. 
but uh, it's it's a lot to balance, right? I worked full time at Yale. I was a double major and also on the football team. So learning to balance all of that, I think, goes back to those early days of youth sports where I would do my homework on the school bus so I could get home and go straight to practice and then come home and do chores and be ready for the next day. And you really get into that routine at a young age that it set me up for success at Yale and, and beyond. And what was, uh, Colin, what was the dream, uh, I guess, academically after going to Yale? What did, what did you want to do? after graduation if not continue playing football uh so originally i wanted to get back to the south and work in the oil and gas industry but fate had different different directions for me i ended up working in the gold mining industry in canada oh, wow. so after graduating i got accepted a job with barrett gold the world's largest gold mining company uh, on their innovation team where we were responsible for thinking about autonomous mining fracking for gold the gold-backed cryptocurrency all of these cool next level projects and I was really excited about that opportunity. Ultimately, that team didn't last uh, all that long. Um, and I was transferred to Las Vegas, where I worked in supply chain there for, for Barrick, where we dealt with explosive cyanide, lime, and all the business strategy of negotiating that. So I was exposed to so many different aspects of the mining industry early on. And I learned so much. And it was an incredible opportunity. So that doesn't necessarily lend itself to a career back in in youth sports. So let's talk a little bit about how you came into uh, knowledge, I guess, of, of put me in and and what the path was to get to get you to what you're currently doing, based on all that uh, you know incredible career background. Absolutely. So fr from the mining world, I transitioned to tech consulting and moved to Austin, Texas, which was the hot spot for people my age at the time. Uh, and while there, COVID happened and I was going through and just catching up with some of my best friends where Yale not only changed my life and opening up all these doors, it gave me the best friends of my life. Uh, so one of my friends and I were catching up and just doing the typical COVID walk and talk. And he was telling me about an organization he was helping that just started, didn't really have a lot of direction at the moment, was really just trying to figure out what they wanted to do. All they know is they wanted to help children with parents in prison. And I thought about it for a second and thought back to my upbringing. And it's one of those things that I'd never really put a lot of thought into that I was different from others. Well, I knew I was different, but I didn't really think about how much that affected me and all the challenges I had to overcome to get to where I was. And so when I hung up from that conversation, my friend I had a few tears go down on my face. It's like, I, I've got to get involved. So I reached out to the, the lead founder at the time, a man named Matt Blodgett, who's another Yale offensive lineman from the class of 2000. And it goes back to that huge network of, of Yaleys sticking together. Uh, offensive and, lineman as well. I know that's a, a particularly we, tight group. We, we have a lot in common. We were both double majors. We were both uh, had a father in prison. We both worked a ton of jobs while at Yale. Like it's it's just a great brotherhood that we had. Um, and so I reached out to him and got connected and we felt all of those connections right away. And I started volunteering, working on all of the early implementation of our donor systems, like leaning on my current job as a tech consultant to bring technology to this nonprofit. And Matt and I, we met every week for about 30 minutes, talked about projects that I could help on, talked about how he was founding the organization. And it became something where I was working 10 to 12 hours in my consulting job. And then I'd just be exhausted at the end of the day, but getting ready to do my put me in work would just re-energize me. And I would go heads down for two hours, three hours, and be really excited about the difference I was making. And then we started doing great work. Our, our mission and organization's goal was, was really catching on. And it, we hit the point of needing someone to run it full time. So last fall, I was able to step into those shoes and uh, became the president and chief program officer. And it's been an incredible year since. 
I would imagine. So let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about what uh, the organization does specifically to help children of incarcerated parents. That's an acronym CIP that I was not familiar with that, uh, that I'm becoming familiar with. But uh, let's talk about what exactly you guys do for these kids. Yeah. So starting on that piece of not being familiar with it, there's currently 5 million children of incarcerated parents in the country. We, we call them SIPs. Um, and they're often known as the hidden victims. It's one of those things that you probably know someone who's been to prison or jail, uh, but you don't really think about the the implications and the waves of those actions and the the punishment or the sentencing from from their actions. Uh, the, the children that were involved, their families are going to be feeling those ripples forever. So there's five million children that are impacted by parental incarceration, and in those families, two and three of those families are living below the poverty line, and that leads to all kinds of access issues to other opportunities. So Put Me In's mission is to break down the barriers of opportunity. We think every kid deserves those life-changing benefits of sports. You and your listeners know the power of youth sports. Like I've witnessed it. I've experienced it firsthand. And we want to be able to give those same opportunities to every child. So the way that we do that is through $1,000 uh, financial aid scholarships. So we're partnered with children and we give them recurring financial aid grants from as young as kindergarten until they graduate high school. Uh, we really think it's important to have these recurring benefits so it's something they can count on and they can look forward to year after year. And it becomes a habit and a routine where they're looking forward to t-ball in the fall and then soccer in the spring and they know their seasons and they know what's going on um, because they're developing these these consistencies and these routines and they're getting all the benefits of youth sports such as perseverance, teamwork, communication, improved self-esteem and just better all over, overall life outcomes. And so that $1,000, is that a one-time grant that they get? Yeah, so so that's recurring. So that's re renewed every year in January. Uh, and then that's going that's sticking with them as, as they grow on. And it's not use it or lose it. So we'll have kids that will use $500 one year and then $1,500 the next. Uh, and it's just based on their own needs. And the way that we distribute that is through a mobile app that we developed. So the caregivers log in and they can send us receipts of sports equipment that they purchased and we're able to reimburse them on the spot. Or alternatively, if they don't have the funds in their account, they can send us a link to a website and we can purchase that for them and ship that directly to their home. So our biggest thing here is making sure that everyone has the same opportunity to have the same equipment as their teammates or join the same leagues that, that they're recruited for, where they never have to say no to an all-star team because they can't afford it. Oh, that's amazing. So it's not just equipment. This could be league fees, travel expenses, or anything that comes along with participating in sports. Absolutely. We focus on covering equipment, league fees, and travel. And so far, we've covered anything from uh, a softball player wanting to have the same type of softball pants as her teammate. So she feels equal and not having the secondhand pants, all the holes in it. Or we have a couple junior Olympians who have traveled across the country and we paid for their flights. And then we've also covered league fees of a, a young soccer player who was playing in the local $35 rec league and was just the best player in that league. And we helped him step up and play on a, a competitive travel team where that's taken him all over the country now and completely changed his life. Yeah, that's uh, that's incredible. So how are you finding the kids? First of all, I guess, where are you doing this? You know, what what cities are you focused on specific geographic areas? And then I guess the second part is, yeah, how you how you go about uh, identifying uh, these kids in the first place? That's a great question. So right now we were founded in San Francisco. And so that's where the bulk of our children are. Um, but with the development of our mobile app, we've been able to expand and become borderless. So we were currently serving children in San Francisco, Boston, Austin, Texas, and Minneapolis. And through that, we're able to, with 
me being the only employee on the team at the moment, serve all of them through the efficiency of our mobile app. Uh, and the way that we were finding them previous to me joining was partnering with a local, other local nonprofits who have these longstanding relationships with families. But we're moving away from that model and towards a model of going direct to prison partnerships. So uh, this summer, I went to a prison in Kansas and spoke in front of 300 incarcerated men and walked out with postcards referring their children to our program. So like I mentioned earlier, there's 5 million children in this country that we can help, and we figured out a way to go direct to source. These children are the hidden victims. They're not walking around the street with their hand up saying, my father's in prison. Yeah. And so us to go to the prisons and identify them, we think that we can, we're one step closer to helping every child in this country. Yeah, that was a question that I had for you, kind of what the response has been from the prison system. I would assume they're welcoming of you coming in or having this kind of conversation. Yes. So we were really lucky to work with a very, very progressive warden in Kansas whose prison uh, is doing some really cutting edge programs. So where their incarcerated men make about $21, $22 an hour, where the going rate on average across the country is about 85 cents a day. So that's a huge disparity gap. So these men feel very empowered and in control of their situation. They're leaving their sentences and having $30,000 saved where they're coming back and they're being productive members of society almost immediately because they have job skills and savings accounts. And for us to come in and start supporting their families right away as well, that's really giving them the, that holistic benefit of serving their time and coming back into society and contributing. The response we got from the men themselves was unbelievable, where I came in thinking, um, yes, the, the guys would want to want us to help their kids right away. But the overwhelming response was, how can I donate? These men were once so excited about what we were doing and thinking about other people's children that they wanted to donate to us instead of us help them. And then, two, we heard a lot of just thank you for caring. These men are often they, they often feel very forgotten in society and to have an organization like us come in and think about their family members and think about them and how that they can be reunited. It's incredible. Some of the success stories we're seeing from our program include families getting closer through sports. Uh, you know, as everyone knows, as kids age, they, they, they don't want to talk to mom and dad every single day. And they got they, a 13 year old. We're experiencing that firsthand. Exactly. They lose things to, to talk about. And so those prison visits become a little bit more painful and pulling teeth. So how was your day? Uh, it was okay. It was fine. But if you change that narrative to house baseball practice, oh, it was tough. Oh, they can go out, go on and have more engaging conversations where they're talking about games. Like the, the fathers get schedules to see what's going on in their children's lives and become a much stronger connector for all these families. And so how, how are you funded? Where is the money coming from to help do what you're looking to do? So right now, it's a lot of individual funding. We're really looking to hit some successful grants this year. Most granting organizations are only supporting nonprofits that have three years of history. And right now we're in our third year. So we're hoping to start getting some more success through grants in the next coming years. But we're really looking for partnerships from cities, from local governments, from individuals that are looking to help. And our model is incredibly efficient. We have an almost 85% pass-through rate where the money you're going is going directly to the children. And through the mobile app that we're using, we're tracking every single penny. So you can know exactly where your dollars are going when you donate to put me in, and you can see the direct impact. From our math, every dollar forty donated is an improved hour of sports access for the children in our program. Yeah, I love that. So you mentioned a couple of cities that you've been able to go into. Have you identified, I mean, I imagine the need would be in theory everywhere, but have you identified particular markets that you're looking to focus on or particular cities that, that would be sort of the next evolution here? 
Uh, so we haven't identified the next cities on our strategic plan. We're more so focused on following the funding. And most people are interested in funding their local cities. So if a donor in Massachusetts wants to fund all 40,000 SIPs in Massachusetts, we can step in and do that right away. If a donor in Alaska wants to do the same thing, we're happy to do that. Our main goal here is just helping the children. And then we can do that through partnerships with uh, the local communities. Love that. So what do you think is, I mean, what, what's next here? I mean, you uh, you talked about obviously trying to grow the grow the pie here. What does the next year look like? Uh, you've obviously had some steady growth and now you're doing this full time. What are the next 12 months, uh, two years or so look like for you guys? Absolutely. That's a great question. So one of the things we do is very controlled experiments. So the experiment for this year was identifying children at scale, which we proved with the, the prison project. And now it's enrolling those children at scale. So we're at 50 kids right now, and we're going to be going to 100 kids next year. So doubling in size and figuring out how can we onboard and enroll all 50 of those those new uh, put me in athletes in January to March. And doing that quickly and efficiently is going to be a, a challenge. And we're really looking forward to overcoming that. And then from there, once we've proven that out, we really believe we can start hitting this at scale. So growing out the organization and expanding my team, and then also uh, raising the funding once we've proved that that model out where. Our model works. Sports change these children li- children's lives, and we can do that in a very efficient manner. So sharing that story on platforms like yours, Jason, and then getting that message out so that we can get the funding in to continue helping children where it's a one-to-one rate, where we get $1,000 in, we bring another kid into our program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we've talked about, our audience is uh, we live in a particular niche, of course, of the sports industry, but, you know, we uh, speak directly to tournament organizers, uh, sports organizations, as well as this fairly large network of of destinations, you know, convention bureaus, sports commissions who are out there bringing these events to their communities. Khalid, what would you want them to know either about your organization or, or these kids on how, you know, how they could help or be part of this conversation if they were interested? Yeah, I think the, the one thing for, for that community is sports are expensive. We're, we're really thankful for all of the, the communities that are coming together to host these events. Um, but just being cognizant of waivers for better access for children, thinking about how they can support organizations like ourselves that are giving scholarships to children to participate in their tournaments and play on those travel teams that are competing. Uh, I, I think that's a huge opportunity for local league organizers. Partnering with us can help cover the funding for a lot of the children in their leagues. And we think this is a great way to do that in a very efficient manner where there's a lot of transparency in the work that we're doing. You're not worried about where the families are spending the money because we're tracking that. We know exactly how the money is being used and we're tracking the impacts of that. One of the children in our program jumped five grade reading levels through participating in boxing. The consistency of going to training every day and working out and having the discipline that his sensei and coach taught him translated directly into his schoolwork. And it's amazing to see the progress these kids are making. Yeah, it must be satisfying. That was actually going to be the you know the last thing I was going to ask of you is what what the response has been, you know, from the kids and the, and these families, these are the ones who obviously who are impacted the most, but it's got to be pretty re- rewarding for you, I would imagine, to, to get the feedback. Absolutely. So one of our business models is very simple because of our tech. So we tell the mothers in our program that they can spend as much or as little time with me as they want. Uh, so for the ones that do take me up on that, it's incredible where I love getting to spend times with the kids in our program. For example, last night, I took three children to the Warriors Kings game here in San Francisco. And just seeing the smile on their faces when they saw Steph Curry run out of the tunnel for his pregame warm up 
and then just how diligently they watched him do his pregame workout. Like they saw how hard he worked and how much effort and he put in, and they saw that he almost never missed a shot during his pregame routine. And they realized that how hard, how much harder they need to practice, and that carries over. And then we had a great conversation on the walk out of the game as well, where we're talking about careers and what they want to do next in their lives. And what we're promoting here through Put Me In isn't just about sports. It's about all the skills that come with that, the the resilience, the hard work, the community building, and then just the overall perseverance that they're going to have after their sports career. So we're incredibly proud of the work that we're doing and the impact we're having on those kids' lives. Yeah, it's uh, it's all amazing. Uh, you know, uh, kudos to you for everything that you've built and your and your partners at the organization. As we talked about at the beginning, your own story is uh, is uh, impressive as well. So we'll be watching you and and certainly following you and and would love to help promote the work that you're doing. For those who are interested in finding out more, is there a, a website or some social channels? Uh, how can people find out more about what you're what you're involved with? Yes. So we're, our website is putmein.org and they can also find us on Instagram uh, at, at putmein and then Twitter at putmeinsports. Uh, and then feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'd love to always talk about the work we're doing and how we can bring Put Me In to your city. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for you know for reaching out to us, for spending the time with us. As I said, I think it's an important conversation. It's one we haven't had over the years, and it's one that we would uh, love to continue having as we as we proceed along. So best of luck to you and everyone involved as you expand. And of course, let us know if we can ever be of assistance as you continue. Thank you so much, Jason. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gwertz for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.